Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Once Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he stopped praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus told them, when you pray, say this, Father, let your name be kept holy. Let your kingdom come. Give us our bread day by day. Forgive us as we forgive everyone else. Don't allow us to be tempted. Jesus said to his disciples, Suppose one of you has a friend. Suppose you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me borrow three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a trip has dropped in on me, and I don't have anything to serve him. Your friend might answer you from inside his house, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I can guarantee that although he doesn't want to give, get up to give you anything, he will get up and give you whatever you need because he is your friend and because you were so bold. So I tell you to ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks will receive. The one who searches will find, and for the person who knocks, the door will be opened. If your child asks you, if your child asks you his father for a fish, would you give him a snake instead? Or if a child asks you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated for the hymn. Trouble anywhere. We 
should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good to be back with you again. Good to be able to proclaim God's Word to you. And I'm going to be focusing on the Gospel lesson, uh, which we tri- typically call the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, really, in all honesty, if you really want the Lord's Prayer, you look at John 17, which is the high priestly prayer. That's when He's praying for us. But what He's doing here is teaching us how to pray but it's not simply a matter of mechanics. There's so much more to it. And what's most important that we need to be listening for is our complete unworthiness to even go through the process of prayer. Just listen for that. And as we think about that, I've got I to tell you, I had, a, uh, I had an interesting week. Um, it, has, it has to do with my medications. Um, I lost 93 pounds since February, so I've gotten, almost completely gotten rid of my blood pressure medicine. But a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2015, I had a couple of recorded episodes of AFib. That's where the top of my heart beats fast and the bottom of my heart, it's not synced up. And, and then everyone's saying, you know, the, the side effect, of it, that's really not a problem until the blood clots and it throws up and you have a stroke. Okay? Not good. Or as, our, uh, as, as my uh, Hispanic pastor friend would say, no bueno, okay? The problem is I, will, I take that medicine because you never know when, it, because I didn't have any symptoms. It just went out and I wasn't feeling, and they checked me out and they said, oh, you know you're an AFib, right? I'm like, no. And uh, you're not going to die. Of, he said, you're not going to die of that, but you could have a stroke. And I'm like, I was 47. I don't want that, Okay. So, so we had that. But because of that, they put me on a medicine, a medicine called Xarelto, okay? And, it, and it's designed, it's one of these new fa- newfangled ones that, that only, it deals with elasticity and so that if it ever clots, it, it stretches around it, and it's, it's way too smart for me, okay? Um, it's a wonder drug. It really is. It's not like, it's not like Coumadin where you got to have your blood tested every six weeks. And now it is fun when you nick yourself shaving and it takes you an hour to stop bleeding, but that's another story. Um, 
But there is a side effect to this that has nothing to do with, with my physical health. It has all to do with my mental and, and financial health. You see, that drug, Xarelto, on, you, uh, you know, on, on good RX, the best price I can get for a 30-day supply is $500. I'm sorry, 501 all of a sudden, I feel like I'm on the price is right, 500, 501, you know, uh, uh, but so, so rather, you know, so, okay, I don't get a stroke from having an AFib, but I get a stroke from paying for the prescription for the AFib, all right? So um, realizing that, uh, you know, they don't necessarily, so, so look at it, it's like $1,500 for a 90-day supply. I found a Canadian pharmacy that, that, uh, that I can basically get it for about $100 a month. Okay, and, and so that saved me strokes from the blood clot and the price tag. I've been doing doing that from, since 2015, except for recently, because there was a shipping snafu. Not one, but two orders got lost in the mail. So I had to bite the bullet and drop a $250 chunk on an emergency supply. I've never had a problem with this process. I thought I understood it. I'd become so familiar with it that I assumed that it would always work out. And now me and my bank account have learned a hard lesson. It's a lesson that is both painful and eye-opening. Now, this is not going to be a sermon about the cost of prescription drugs. It is a sermon on Luke chapter 11, but... There are, there are similarities, and it has to do with the painful, eye-opening lessons. For that's what happens in, Luke in these first 13 verses of Luke chapter 11. For these disciples, they've been traveling with Jesus for some time now. Depending on your timelines of the gospel, it's probably almost a year and a half. Okay, so, and in that year and a half that he's been leading them, they've learned that Jesus has authority and power over demons, over storms, over illnesses, and even death. Each fresh lesson was something that was teaching them and us about who Jesus is and what he has come to do, namely to redeem us out of the grasp of sin and death and devil and to restore us to our rightful place with the Father. Now, while Jesus has yet to spell out his final destination, which is a cross and an empty tomb, explicitly we can read this story and know that's exactly what he's teaching them. Each one of these little lessons is moving us closer to understanding and receiving the salvation that he is giving us. So after this year and a half or so with Jesus and the, the disciples, they start to think that they've got things figured out. They thought that they were starting to get a grasp of this whole Messiah thing. So they default to what they know. They ask Jesus, the rabbi, which means teacher, the very same question that they would ask any other rabbi. Now, they know he's a rabbi. They know he's a teacher. They know he's better than that. But you see, the problem is there is the assumption. There is the assumption that Jesus is like all the other rabbis. 
and that Jesus has come to teach them how to do religion. And that's what spurs them to ask the question of the text. Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Now, I need you to understand that while this question looks innocent enough, what it does is it belies a false understanding of prayer and who Jesus is. For you see, for many, both then and now, prayer is a formula that we follow. In some ways, because of this formulaic approach, we've tended to teach prayer a little bit like, oh, a spiritual vending machine. You know, if you're thirsty and, and, and you got a couple of bucks, you can go there and unfold your money so it actually goes in the slot, you know, without you saying things that you need to go to confession for, all right? But, but, but if you go to the machine and you put in the right amount of money and you, you hit the right button, you get what you want. And so often, we do this with prayer. We put our bodies in the right position. Sometimes it's kneeling. Sometimes it's standing. It's certainly hands folded, head down, eyes closed, something like that. Then we put the right kind of words. We, we, we drop the right kind of words into the slot, the, 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 the words that sound religious, you know. Oh, Lord, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, Almighty King of the universe, you know, put them all together. And we place it just the right formula in just the right tone. And then we pull the lever with the full expectation that we're going to get what we want. And when we don't, and we often don't, boy, howdy, do we get mad. We complain that God doesn't listen to us. We've got that loved one who is sick with cancer, and we, we pray for them to be healed, and then they die. And what do we do? You didn't listen to me, God. We have kids. We baptize them. We instruct them. We commune them. We pray for them every day. We send them off to the swamp rot capital of the world, Houston, for a youth gathering. And then they go off to college and they disappear. Sometimes they just drift into the mist. Other times they rebel. They turn their back on their church. They deny their confession. They walk away from God. And as parents, we complain that God hasn't listened to us. We see the situations in the world where nations are torn by war, family, families are riven apart by divorce and poverty, churches sit far emptier than they ever have, and we seek the Lord. And yet wars rage, homes are broken, churches are empty. And we might be tempted to say that God isn't listening. I need to understand, all of that comes from the fact that we have this default tendency 
to view prayer just like every false religion in the world does. We ask. We're supposed to get. And the devil helps us in this when we try to twist the words that Jesus puts in the middle of this gospel lesson. I tell you, you ask and it'll be given. You seek and you'll be fine. And fine, knock and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it'll be open. Boy, doesn't this sound a lot like that spiritual vending machine? Well, it does. Only if you miss two key elements of this reading. You see, the true miracle of prayer happens when we take two words from Jesus in these 13 verses and we lay them side by side. The first of the words sound like this. When you pray, say, Father. That one word, Abba. That one word speaks volumes about who God is. And then the second word in this text that we need to lay right next to that speaks volumes about us. But it doesn't come at the beginning of Jesus' teaching prayer. It comes at the end of this little lesson on prayer. And it has Jesus saying this, If you then who are evil... See, this lesson on prayer for disciples both then and now is not a lesson about mechanics. It's not a lesson about religion. It's a lesson about grace. You you pick up the book of James, and James will remind us under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. That's an amazing thing for us. Every good thing we have comes from the Father. His all-powerful Word issued forth from His divine being and brought everything into existence. His Word, spoken, takes chaos and makes it creation. What the Lord speaks into, into being is nothing short of awesome and amazing. There's nothing that we have, there's nothing that we treasure, There's nothing that we long for that has not been created by God. And once created by God, it's entrusted to us. That speaks volumes about who God is. But the harsh truth is this. We so often want to claim ownership over everything that God wants to entrust to us. We claim our bodies. We claim our time. We cling far too tightly to our money, our home, our children, our possessions. And every one of those claims is false. They're perjury. They're theft. They're a highlight of our inbred evil. I can prove to you right now from Scripture that this is true. I want you to think for just a second. Now, don't close your eyes because I don't want anybody drifting off. But I want you to think right now. I'm going to give you a quick couple of seconds. First thought, 
What is your most treasured possession? What is your most treasured possession? And when you come up with it, just, just hold it right there in front of your mind. Again, eyes open, no snoring. You got it? You got your most present? Okay. Now, I'm going to prove to you that it's not yours. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Think of the, think of the universe, the, the parentheses, the brackets that God just set up in these verses. The earth is the Lord's, the world, and all those who dwell within. That's the bracket he just put up. It all belongs to God. None of it belongs to us. And yet, we live as if the things that have been entrusted to us are, are to do with what we please. And nothing can be farther from the truth. And when we make these claims, we steal from God. Not just the things, not just the time. What we are really stealing is the Lord's glory, the Lord's honor, and the Lord's place. We have a highfalutin theological word for that theft. It's called idolatry. And you don't have to dig in the scriptures very long to find out what happens to idolaters. You see, no amount of effort can ever qualify us in the presence of God. No formulation of prayer will make your request to Him worthy. No, just like everything we have in life, the fact that God is willing to even listen to us is an act of grace. His ears and his heart is open to your prayer because of who he is. He is our dear Father in heaven. We are his wayward, rebellious children, and yet the Lord never turns his back on us. He's like that loving and forgiving father that you'll meet in a few chapters, chapter 15 in Luke's gospel. We call him the prodigal, just a couple of chapters down the line. Our father wants to give us every good and perfect gift. He wants to hear our prayers, and he even provides for us when we act much more like spoiled brats than beloved children. When we blame him, he loves us. When he runs away, when we run away from him, like the faithful shepherd, he comes looking. When we sin against him, he is ready, willing, and able to pay the ultimate price, the life of his one and only son, so that we can stand before him forgiven. He provides us our daily bread, not just for this life, but the daily bread that we have in the foretaste of the feast to come that is the Lord's Supper, a, 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 a bread that nourishes us for eternity. This is our Father. This is the one who created us. 
He's the one who cares for us. He is the one who reclaims us for His purposes. And He's also the one who sends us to be that for others. When you leave here today as a forgiven saint, you are not sent to be the Father. That's not a position reserved for you. That's only for Him. But what we are are reflections of the Father. When people know that we sin, we know we're forgiven. So when others sin against us, we shower that same kind of forgiveness on them even if they don't ask for it. When we encounter the unlovable, we love without limit. When we encounter temptation and evil, we turn away from those evil tendencies and we seek to emulate His mercy. And yet none of this is from us. It's all from Him. As Luther rightly points out, he gives us everything that we need to support this body and life. He also gives us everything that we need to live out the love and grace that He has created and redeemed us to share with those around us. God gives us everything. You and I, we bring nothing to the table. It's all about Him being our Father. Like Dan and I were talking about before church, you crack open your catechism and you read that first, ex that first paragraph of Luther's explanation of the third article. You know that one? I believe that I cannot by my own reason think, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord to come to Him. If you, you know, and I, I know people are grammar averse, but if you look at that paragraph and you cross out all the prepositional phrases, which you can do grammatically, here's what you're left with. I believe that I cannot believe, but the Holy Spirit calls me by the gospel. That's what the Father does. He sends His Son to teach prayer, and He sends His Spirit so that this prayer, especially this Lord's Prayer, can be grasped and be entrusted to us and understand that it is far more than we think it is. When we think that this Lord's Prayer or any prayer is about us or about what we do or about what we say or how we say it, we are making a terrible mistake. We are making a sinful mistake. And the cost of that mistake is going to make the mistake by my uh, Canadian pharmacy look like chump change. Or when we make this mistake with prayer and our relationship with God, it can kill our souls. But when we see prayer as about our Father and not us, now we see something gracious. We see a Father who loves us in spite of us beyond measure. We see a God who provides for us, who cares for us, who forgives us, who restores us. The daily bread that we receive, it, that's just a sign of this care. The heavenly manna that we receive in the Lord's Supper, that's a delivery of it. And it comes to us freely. Understand this. God should not ever 
listen to even one syllable of our prayers. We don't deserve it. What Jesus says of us in Luke 11 is absolutely right. We're evil. But your Father is bigger than your evil. He loves you enough to deal with all of your evil by pouring out the blood of His Son. And He does that to return you to the family. A family in which He loves to hear the prayers of His children. Every one of them. Even the wild and crazy ones, like when Bill prays that the Brewers actually finish ahead of the Cardinals. He hears them. He answers them. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Actually, I had a dear friend. Her name was Jane Fryer. She wrote a book. And, and, and she, she, you know, in the catechism, they tell you that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, not now, and no, not ever. She was a woman. Her father was a pastor. She'd been suffering for years with MS in debilitating pain. And she says, you know, I was, a, I was a seminary student at the time. I knew everything. Now I'm just old and stupid. But, but what, what she told me, she says, you know, the problem with no, not now, and no, not ever, you can't tell the difference. So she framed it this way. What if we thought about this? When God says no, what he's really saying is, I've got something better planned. So every, every, every prayer has an answer. Whether it's yes or it's I have something better planned, every one of those answers flows directly to you from the heart of your heavenly Father. He's the one who loves you that much even to be willing to listen to and answer you and me. That's the one. And you start at 5 o'clock every night, right, for VBS? All right, here's your homework. If you're here helping, praise be to Jesus. If you're not, I don't care whatever position you get into. You want to stand, you want to kneel, you want to sit down, you want to get up, you want to fight, 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 I don't care. But at 5 o'clock, every night this week, you pray for this VBS. Because the Lord is bringing your neighbors into this building who need Jesus. The one who wants to be to them that Father who listens just like he listens to you. Now, there's no grades, but that's the best way you can help. If you can't be here, storm the gates of heaven for this VBS because it can and will change the lives of your neighbors. Oh, yeah, and you too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Having heard the word of God, we confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand. We confess together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, Lord, who was conceived by the Holy 